It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. The Athletic. The Phil Hay Show. Welcome to the Phil Hay Show that's brought to you by The Athletic and the Square Ball. Dan here from the studio off Gelded Road, Square Ball HQ. Phil from his uh, base of operations in York from The Athletic. You're right, Phil. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. This is the Monday morning edition of the, the Phil Hayes Show. Um, you can read Phil's match report after Cardiff. Go to theathletic.com forward slash leads pod to sign up. New year offer, theathletic.com forward slash leads pod. And that's where we're going to start today's uh, show. The Monday show, we debrief what's happened over the weekend, Phil. We're back into the sort of more normal-ish grind of fixtures now, aren't we? As reflected in the weekly calendar. So let's talk about the FA Cup third round, the draw at Cardiff. Last gasp uh, recovery from Leeds again. They have to keep digging themselves out of holes, don't they? A joyous trip to South Wales. We're still in the hat though, aren't we? Which, you know, is, is not to be sniffed at. It was strange yesterday. Um, I was saying to you before we came on air that I had um, somebody on our desk who was messaging me yesterday on, on our Slack channels saying, I can't actually believe how dismal Leeds' record is in cup competitions. And I think it's very apparent around here. Everybody's aware of the fact that Leeds just don't seem to get involved in knockout football at all. But I think when you know people who aren't aware of it started looking through the record, like how long it is since Leeds have made the quarterfinals of the FA Cup or the semi-finals, and or made the, the last four of the the League Cup, you're talking decades and decades. And granted, there was a long EFL stretch in there where Leeds were not a great side, so you wouldn't have expected them to to go far. But it is kind of remarkable, and and I think almost actually a bit inexcusable that they make so little progress in these competitions year after year. And they're very, very close to going out yesterday, um, saved by Sonny Perkins' goal right at the end. A kind of strange game to analyse because the, the reason they almost lost that tie yesterday was because they were so limp and so flat in the first half. And, and with a back four that just completely evaporated for those two Cardiff goals, um, you know, put them in, in harm's way in, in a big way. But actually, the way they played in the second half, they should have won that. In, in the end. I think if Rodrigo had scored that penalty um, at the point where it was awarded and it had gone to all at that point with Cardiff down to 10, I, I think they would have seriously struggled to have resisted a third concession as well. So in no way did they deserve to go out yesterday, I don't think. Um, in no way did they necessarily play well enough to 100% deserve to go through. But it was, it was kind of typical of how it's been with Leeds, certainly this season, but a lot under Marsh as well. It, it almost took crisis mode and, you know, that that sort of chaotic onslaught to get something out of a game which was running away from them. And I don't think anybody can pretend that that was a, a particularly strong Cardiff side either because it definitely wasn't. And Marsh has said uh, in the post-match, what do Leeds need to do more of? And it's things like understanding the competition and things like that, quite vague concepts. And I think were people not hoping for a, a bit more than that? Well, the club were hoping for more than that. It, Marsh said in his pre-match press conference that Angus Kinnear had said to him it would be good to get a cup run this year. And, you know, Le- Leeds no doubt would like the money that, that comes in from a, a decent run in the cup. It's, it's fairly small beer in comparison to the massive cash you get from Premier League central revenue payments and everything else, but but it still counts. 
But I wondered as well whether there was a, a little bit of advice in there about self-preservation, you know, about the fact that it would not be a great idea to go to Cardiff, mess about with a particularly weak lineup, lose in an unflattering way at a time when the, the league form is is not great anyway. You see, it, it's quite interesting when you go back through Bielsa's cup record. It was it was dismal, really. You know, Leeds did very little under Bielsa in the Cups and, and some, of, some of his lineups could be fairly weird and wonderful, thinking particularly of the game away at Crawley, which was, to my mind, the best opportunity Leeds have probably had in the past 20 years, say, to have a good run in the Cup. They were so well-placed in the Premier League that they weren't going to be relegated. They were a team who were in really good form, playing well, very dangerous in an in attacking sense. They, they could have gone far in it. And and it felt as if that opportunity was allowed to slide with, you know, kind of pre-ordained substitutions in a, a fairly weak lineup. But the difference there, as in Bielsa's previous two seasons, was the, the matter of credit in the bank. The fact that Leeds were going well in, in the league in all three of those seasons, that was what you were focusing on. That ultimately was how Bielsa was going to be judged. It's what managers tend to be judged on at more clubs than not. Um, it's different this time. Leeds are two points above the bottom three. They really have been struggling for form at the moment. It's two wins from 16, which is not great. And I don't think this was an occasion where there was any leeway or, or any freedom to go to Cardiff and you know to lose the game and say, oh, well, it doesn't particularly matter. There were more than 6,000 down there in the way end, which I have to say, I, I, and Mars said this himself and I agreed, I, I thought I made a huge difference in the second half. I thought it was absolutely critical in keeping the play flowing in that direction and, and making Cardiff wobble. But I just felt that, you know, the circumstances yesterday demanded a win. At the very least, they demanded that Leeds didn't go out down there and, and didn't get embarrassed by a, a pretty weak Cardiff side. And it does go back to a replay. Um, I think the chances are that they'll go through in the replay. And actually, the, the draw in the next round, depending on how you look at it, I mean, I, I looked at Bournemouth away and I said on Twitter, that is like Histon in a different scream outfit, that. <laughs> but on the flip side, if you play a very good team at Bournemouth or Accrington, that is a very, very winnable tie, um, without a doubt. So, you know, something to to look at there. The one area where I think I would defend Marsh was in the the choice of lineup yesterday. Well, he, he could have he could have done it differently with the players who were actually available. There were a hell of a lot of players who are missing through injury. So even though Kinnear had said to him, take this seriously, let's get on a let's get on a good run the limitations were pretty obvious on the basis of who wasn't able to travel. You tweeted out actually quarter past five um, yesterday talking about Marsh's comments in which he said, without the crowd, I don't think we'd get ourselves back in. And you obviously, yeah. you know what he's trying to get out there, which is praise for the fans. But is that necessarily the yeah. way he thinks it is? <laughs> um, I think it's fair comment. I, I, I felt the same that, when the pressure needed to come on to Cardiff, and, and the substitutions did make a, a difference, although I feel more and more that Leeds seem to be at the most effective or the most productive, dangerous, if you want to put it that way, when it is almost a case of load players onto the pitch, go hell for leather, and you know try to use that chaos to make the opposition panic. Cardiff's resistance was always likely to be tested because, I mean, even at full strength, they're not a great championship team this season and they were they were well below full strength yesterday. And you assumed that at some point they would they would start to rock. And I, and I do think the away end made a big difference to that. It, to my mind, that's all Marsh was getting at, really. I think he, he really appreciated the fact that there were so many down there and that it did influence um, what happened from 2-0 from down. And, and that 
it you know it made it harder and harder for Cardiff to to stay steady because they had that crowd on their case right behind the goal. Is anything a win for him at the moment? I don't know. It's the circumstances are difficult, but I didn't feel in any way he was he was having a dig there or, or saying anything anything untoward. I, I I understood where he was coming from. What I meant more by that, Phil, was um, if you take the crowd out of the equation, what would we have got? Well, yeah, I I, I totally see that, and I don't. I don't think that game from 2-0 down wasn't winnable minus a crowd either. I mean, the, the, the players who were coming onto the pitch, particularly Rodrigo, who made a big difference, you always felt as if it, that one goal was, was going to make Cardiff think. And once Cardiff started to think, it was going to become far less comfortable for them. So perhaps, I don't know, maybe maybe he is just tickling a few egos there and, and you know, wanting the crowd to feel as, as important as they should be. I, I I just felt though on the day that it did make a difference. The atmosphere, whether that's to say that they couldn't have fought back from two nil two nil down without that crowd, is is obviously hypothetical. Um, because it's not you don't feel that two nil down away to a week in Cardiff side that should be um, job done really. But it's all part of the bigger picture, which is that you're waiting for this to click and it just won't properly click, and you feel like you're going through the same game more than once um, on repeat and. I don't know. I, I said this in the match report. It, it feels a little bit like at the moment we're waiting for that one dig in the stomach too many, that one dig that isn't recoverable from really. Um, they got through Leicester and Fulham and, and obviously got out the other side of it with wins over Liverpool and Bournemouth. But it feels to me to be every bit as dicey at the moment. It is very much a, another case of the, the Leeds United paradox in operation, isn't it? Particularly on, on the Marsh, the being able to look really, really good, but when digging yourself out of a hole, but it not looking great from the start. And I would draw people's attention to your match report, particularly when I think you sum it up in the last few paragraphs and you do say, where is that shot in the arm coming from? And when, what you've got is a crowd waiting to be convinced in the fans at Ellen Rose. And you're looking for, at some point, leads to emerge from the chrysalis as a butterfly. Yeah. Um, And still hard to to see if that's coming, hard to know if if that's going to happen. I think to look and listen to Marsh, I, I think he is trying hard to tell himself that that, that will happen. But there's evident frustration there. Um, and, you know, he'll know himself that it doesn't help to go somewhere like Cardiff and to have a first half, which at the end of it leaves your, your head coach sitting saying, you know, we, we weren't ready for the game, we weren't ready for the tournament, you know, we didn't show up in that first half in, in the way that we needed to. Um, you need you need the, the conviction of games where you look comfortable and you look in control and, and you look dominant. And you're right that, you know, when when you, you're swarming forward against a side who are 2-0 up, you, you can look better. But in those circumstances, teams in the lead tend to become more defensive and they tend to invite you on. I mean, I'll, I'll give you Junior Firpo as an example. And Actually, I mean, people said this to me on Twitter yesterday, you shouldn't be singling him out. And it's that's probably fair to say because the back four as as a whole in the first half yesterday were just all over the place. And, you know, so weak when it came to the, the goals as well. I mean, there's the argument about whether Aronson should have tracked Dojo for um, the second goal. But the, the, the back four didn't seem to know where each other were. They were letting players in behind on the, the kind of few occasions when, when Cardiff actually attacked. But... I thought you saw the big difference between football first half and second half. Under pressure in the first half, there seemed to be no confidence in him about what he wanted to do with the ball or, or even having the ball at his feet. In the second half, when there was next to no pressure to defend and nothing coming at Leeds at all, it, his play started to become more fluent. He became more involved. He became more active. 
he would have scored the second goal had um, had Began not handled on the line, which was a very good save. Uh, I must say it was um, was was top class reaction that, but he wasn't going to get away with it. I, I made this point as well in the absence of you know your, your usual safety nets. I thought the officials were very very good. Yes, um, yesterday I really thought they were. They got the penalty right. The Perkins goal could easily have been ruled offside, but if you look to the far side of the pitch where the defender who'd been sliding in trying to block Nonto's cross was, he was still on it. He was still over the line. So technically speaking, he, he was playing Perkins onside. Um, I thought they I thought they got it pretty much bang on in most cases. Some people seem to be arguing over the Nonto diving booking. Um, the initial angle I saw of that made it look like a dive to me. Some people said they'd seen a different angle um, which looked like he'd he'd been clipped, but I thought on a difficult day they they had a they had a pretty good game. Worth add, adding that the the man playing him on side would have been playing him on side even if he was fully off the pitch anyway, because otherwise defenders would just be able to step off and play people offside, wouldn't they? Well, no, that's 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 absolutely true. Um, but his positioning was was absolutely crucial to that. Otherwise, that would have um, that would almost certainly have been ruled out. I think. Uh, yeah, and good from Furpo. That little flick was lovely, wasn't it, for uh, for Perkins' little tap in. He deserves some credit for that for a man who's taken some pelters this season. Yeah, I mean, it makes you wonder whether if if there was a the kind of attacking license there without the, the need to defend, um, <laughs> i.e., used in a different position, if it, you know it, it would would bring more out of him. Um, but unfortunately, when you've paid you know, 12, 30 million pounds for somebody as a left back, that's where you need them to to shine. And I don't know. I mean, he he looks to me like somebody who desperately needs a long run of games where it's steady and it's settled and he's he can he can build his flow and build his confidence and Leeds doesn't feel like an easy place to get that at the moment and I you know when Max Verbal came on for his debut went into the centre of midfield very kind of physical and confident presence I thought um on uh, at first glance I think Realistically, most of us would be looking for him to be playing further back, either left back or left sided um, centre back. But I, I, I sort of think if if you're looking now at who needs to play on the left side of defence, you probably are starting to think that if you can unwrap Verba fairly quickly, it might not be a bad idea. Fair to say, overall, you're not convinced by this as a as a project yet, Phil. I think that's that's starting to shine through in that match report of yours. It's really hard to be. It's really, really difficult to be. And it's not to say that it won't come together. It's not to say that it won't gather pace. I mean, good signings this month might make a difference. And um, everybody will have seen the links with Jorginho Rutter, the Hoffenheim striker over the weekend, strikes me as somebody who, who could evolve this team and, and make this team better um, without any doubt. And I, I'm always in, in two minds about this. You know, tactically, it's it's been a struggle to make it work without any doubt. But I'm still not convinced that the squad is there. You know, I'm still not convinced that the squad and the team has been built to a level which can really ask for much more than than being in that bottom section of the league where you're always going to be in a bit of peril. So perhaps the, there is a bigger picture to this, which is that Leeds need to move beyond that bracket. And if you're being totally honest, you know that is about far more than the head coach. It really is. But on the flip side of that, Phil, you can't excuse a lack of basic organisation, can you? Which seems to be one of the hallmarks of this Jesse Marsh side is the defending looks chaotic more often than not. The defending was poor yesterday. Strike had a very difficult game and it's it's kind of odd, isn't it, that we talk so much about left-sided centre-back being his best position and then he comes into the team and, and struggles in the way that he did yesterday. Although, again, there you are talking about someone who's been out of position for you know a long, long time and then suddenly gets a go in his favourite position. And that's not really how you, you settle in and, and develop 
in the area where you you really want to play. No, I mean that's kind of why I sort of constantly ask myself the question: Is it better than a year ago? I, I get that they're not getting trounced in the way that they were away at Man City or away at Anfield. You know, not conceding heavily in individual moments, but they are still conceding and they are still going at a rate of two a game. And you know that that doesn't really seem to be changing. It doesn't really seem to be on on the mend. I think it it definitely needs to improve. They've they've got some pressure games coming up massively. Um, I don't think a Cardiff replay in the middle of it all is massively helpful, but I do think that a Cardiff replay is far more helpful than a defeat um, down in Wales yesterday. I don't think that would have been good for anybody. I mean, with reference to what was happening 12 months ago, it wasn't that bad 12 months ago in that it got away from Bielsa towards the end, but most Leeds fans, I think, can view Bielsa's tenure as a, as a whole rather than it, it falling apart at the end when maybe the methods started collapsing. He'd, he'd wrung every last drop out of that squad. The problem is he had them looking really, really organised and well-drilled before that. So that's the immediate frame of reference, isn't it? People look at this side and think, well, there's a nucleus of players there who played like that under Bielsa and yet now it just seems completely formless a lot of the time. Yeah, and and I mean, injuries are still such a problem as well, aren't they? It's not as if Leeds have now transitioned from a point where they just had a packed treatment room to a point where they've got the odd player missing now and again. You know, even had Marsh wanted to go full strength at Cardiff, the squad was a million miles from it because of how many players weren't actually available. And is, is he overtraining him, Phil? <laughs> you can't. You also cannot get away from the fact that if you have a game against Villa on Friday night after a Sunday trip to Cardiff, and there are players who are questionable in terms of their fitness, you have to hedge your bets, don't you? You have to hedge your bets, and there isn't a, a single Premier League club. I don't think, give or take, that would ever prioritise the FA Cup over staying in the division. Um, and that's why you saw some pretty hefty changes from Forest and from Newcastle and, and others, because they know where their bread's buttered and they know what it is that they're, they're really going after. And I mean, Rocker and Harrison were both on the bench yesterday, but both had had fitness tests before the game, both weren't in perfect shape. I think, again, it was a case of not worth risking them because if if you do risk them and you lose them, then suddenly that has big consequences for really important league matches that are, are coming up. It's a very difficult balance at the minute. Um, and as I say, it feels as, as, as difficult a balance as it was this time last year. One of the real high points of the, the Marsh era has been the resurgence in form of Rodrigo, who, who seems to have really found a groove for himself now. He's, it's, yes. he's getting the goals and they just keep coming. Yes. I've said a few times that Goals, great. Finishing, great. Not always certain about whether Leeds are tailor-made to have him in the team. But yesterday, he was the difference as far as I was concerned. Just a total shift in mindset when it came to positioning and intensity and, and trying to, to get him behind. Also, the, the substitutions just lent themselves to a bit more width in the team, particularly Nonto on the left. And the more that Nonto looks like he can run all day, and the more you were setting him against Cardiff's defence, the more it was going to um, it was going to tire them out. There was one player in particular, I forget off the top of my head now who it was, Cardiff player who looked absolutely shattered as Leeds were going in for the equaliser. He was trying hard to press and he was trying hard to follow runners. He was physically exhausted because they'd just been you know just the players running at them um, all the way through the second half, and yeah, he missed the penalty, um, but took the the header well. Um, his, his movement and the way he dragged Cardiff around definitely helped to to break them apart. 
I also think, you know, to look at Rodrigo and his reaction, everything else, you, you feel more and more that it, it matters to him, this. You know, it, it does. I don't feel as if... There always seems to have been that question mark over Rodrigo about whether he's sort of really here, you know, whether this is whether this is kind of real or whether he's just going to sort of pass through and go and everybody will wonder what that £27 million was about. But he can he can look very, very good when he does. And I, if, it, it does kind of feel like he's one of the players that they've got to cling to through the second half of this season because there are more goals in him without any doubt and they're going to need them. I think when you stack his transfer fee up against the other transfer fees we're paying now as well, it starts to look better because he arrived the summer when we came up and we're paying 27 million quid for someone and you go, bloody hell, that's a lot of money. But actually, now we've been here a couple of years longer, you realise it's not a huge amount of money. It just isn't. It's not. No, and, the, and the return actually starts to look better, doesn't it, as time goes on? I mean, we'll, we'll chat about Rotter um, in part two of this, but a few people over the weekend have said, mm, 30 to 40 million pounds seems like a lot of money for him. As I'm sorry to say, it just isn't these days. <laughs> it just isn't. That, that is... That's actually what you have to pay when you're in the market below the the kind of prime part of the market where your biggest clubs are operating, you know. And for sure, you can get more experienced players than Rutter for 30 to 40 million. But when you get into the realms of, you know, he's he's kind of rated as one of the, the brightest prospects in the Bundesliga, or certainly somebody that people talk about a lot. Once you start dealing in, in that section of the transfer market, it costs you. And you're right, like, you know, if, if Rutter comes in, it might well be that it's a, a new transfer record and you've got a 20-year-old breaking the, the price that was paid for Rodrigo. And then round about that, you've had Dan James and um, you've had Brendan Anderson, you've had Tyler Adams and, and Sinistera. It is all kind of coming together. And, and perhaps it does change the perspective of what Rodrigo should have done at Leeds and how good he, he should have been. I'm loath to say this, but actually in the grand scheme, £27 million is not a massive amount of transfer cash. It just is an extortionate amount for Leeds because they've never paid anything like it, you know, or, or never had, largely due to the, the years in the, the EFL. But he's starting to feel really influential, Rodrigo. And as I say, I think more and more it feels like he is the, one of the players that they have absolutely got to, absolutely got to harness in the, the period going forward. I mean, I don't say this in, entirely lately, but I think if Cooper's not in the team, then you sort of lean naturally towards thinking that Adams is a good shout for captain. But I don't think Rodrigo's a bad option either in the way he's playing at the moment. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's talk Rutter then if we can, Phil. And um, yes. Leeds United looking like they're, they're increasing their, their attacking options in the form of, uh, of Jorginho Rutter. Big fee, as you were mentioning there. Where, where are we on this one? Well, we did say from the start of the window that the forward was something they would go after. 
um, alongside a left back. They they seem to feel that they've covered the left back um, area with Verba coming from RB Salzburg. Um, there was optimism about Rutter over the weekend, and it's probably easiest to go through the process of what's happened with him because it's been a, a bit of a movable feast as as time's gone on. He was left out. The German Bundesliga season hasn't restarted after the World Cup. So Hoffenheim, his club at the moment, are going through a series of friendlies in the way that Leeds did before the Premier League season got going again. He was left out of um, a game against Wolfsburg on Friday night. The story broke via Sky Germany on Saturday that um, there was Premier League interest in him and, and specifically interest from from Leeds, which is is correct. On Sunday, just as we arrived down in Cardiff, Hoffenheim announced that he was being stood down from training uh, and that he wouldn't play in a friendly, another friendly which due to take place later today. Pretty much, I mean, they, they said in the statement quite openly that there'd been speculation about him moving to the Premier League. They didn't hide the fact that they were uh, they were sidelining him because of that and because clearly, without saying this in too many words, clearly he wasn't in... Uh, a great place in sense of focus, I think, would be would be fair to say. He, he, I, I found an interview from him um, in May of last year. It really fascinates me, actually. The number of times you see players who don't play in the Premier League ask specifically about the Premier League in a way that you don't see the same questions really asked about La Liga or Serie A. It, it's not unusual to see players asked about, you know, the prospect of joining, say, Bayern Munich or Real Madrid or Barcelona or when you get into, you know, Italy, Juventus or, or so on. But the, it, it's become more and more apparent that the Premier League is where so many people want to be, without any doubt, because of finance. You know, that makes a huge difference. But the wealth and the exposure that the division has has just kind of catapulted it above most other leagues that are out there. So he sort of said, you know, for, for us, it, it is a dream. And, you know, at, at the moment, there's quite a serious chance of it becoming a, a reality. His price has changed drastically from, from what it was when Hoffenheim bought him back in early 2021. He came from Rennes, who've got this um, excellent academy there, and he was he was a product of it. But his contract was running out. So Hoffenheim paid, according to the reports in France, paid around about half a million pounds for him. They now want in the region of 30 to, to 40 million, which is on a totally, totally different level. And and I think we'd be pretty um pretty bloody minded in holding out for what they, they think he's worth as as they should. So I mean, this one is there to be done. And they're very much, I think, knocked the ball back into the court of Leeds and any other club who fancies him by saying, look, this interest has become public now. He's not training with us. Um, he's not involved in our games. He, I think you can read between the lines that he wants a move or he wants the move because, you know, if, if he was, I think he was reminded to be staying at Hoffenheim, he'd be saying to them, no, look, I, I want to train, I, I want to play. And it seems to me to be a case of Hoffenheim saying, look, if this is happening, let's force the issue. And if you want him, then do more than talk, you know, pay the money, get it done. And and where is this money coming from? Is it is it the Gakpo well, money? Is, is this the 49ers? Getting in ahead of a potential takeover? Well, I, I say this every time. Never make the mistake of thinking that they will be paying 30 to 40 million in one tranche here and now. This will be structured over the course of whatever contract he was to sign. So you would be talking a, a smaller amount um, and then staggered payments through to the, the end of the, the deal, which which completes the um, completes the payment of, of fee. That said, it will still require a, a number of millions in order to, to get it done. So where it comes from and, and how it's um how that money is is pulled together 
will be a continuation of the discussion that's been going on in previous windows as well. You know, it's similar to, I always think of the Dan James transfer, which was essentially Radrazani putting up money at the end of it to, to make that one from, from Manchester United happen. I think it's quite a smart move from Hoffenheim, you know, to to effectively say, look, okay, you like a player, you 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 want a player potentially, but rather than us spending the next two or three weeks talking about it and and reading loads of copy um, journalistic pieces about leads in for Hoffenheim's rutter, why don't you just do it? You know, if you're going to do it, do it. If you're not, don't. I don't think Leeds will be bounced into this unnecessarily. They are still looking at, at a few of the, uh, a couple of other strikers, including Gokarez at Coventry. And our uh, mate Ralph from the um, from the walk is going to do me in again for my pronunciation of that. Because he's, um, he's a Swedish international, but it's Hungarian heritage, so it's a Hungarian that, pronunciation, isn't it? That's right. That's right. So I cannot I cannot get a grasp of it, and I'll I'll need to make more effort certainly if he if he signs. But I, it, you very much get the vibe that, yes, you know, the, there are others that they've got eyes on and, and everything else, but Rutter would be the one, I think. Rutter feels like the one that they would like. And there's a lot of noise at the minute suggesting that this is very, very close. Do you think it's as close as it's been portrayed online or is there still work to do? Because my, my fear is that we end up with one of the, the Gakpo Unicorn situations where, you know, Leeds have been mocked a little bit for paying, you know, 20 quid up front and then... Champions League clauses and things like that. The more that's said in the in the in the media, the harder it, it it sort of well, it builds pressure, doesn't it? It builds pressure on the club to get it complete, and then if they don't, it looks bad afterwards. From speaking to people late last night, there was what to do on it, but there wasn't an absence of optimism that it could happen. I think you, there's there's always a difference between deals which sound fairly unrealistic and deals which you think could be done, you know. And and I, this seems to me to be one that could be done. Essentially, if Leeds put up the money then there's no reason why it, it shouldn't happen. And what you're seeing, I think, with um, with Rutter being sidelined from training is that there's clearly a will on his part to to engage on this um, and and if he can, to to get it done. And I do think it would be a really interesting signing for Leeds. I think it would be a potentially very good one for them. He's um, he's versatile, which and it's no surprise on that basis that he appeals to Leeds because even even if we discount the fact that they, they in the end they didn't, Sign Gakpo or De Ketla, they were both forwards who you would not have categorised as out and out number nines. They can, you know, they can play up front, they can play as as attackers. But you know, you you follow Gakpo through the Dutch team, and and he plays in all sorts of positions. And even though there's a bit of clamour around here for signing a nine who is a replacement for for Bamford or competition for Bamford, the players they go after don't seem to be. I guess pigeonholed in quite the same way or to quite the same extent. Everybody seems to be able to play in a variety of positions. And certainly with Rutter, he's by all accounts very good at playing with his back to goal if he has to, so he can play as a, a centre forward. But he he seems to be quite happy in wider positions, you know, a little bit similar to what Nonto is doing at the moment. Um so he would he would give you some option uh, options, he would give you some some versatility. It is, you know, it is a high fee by Leeds standards, no doubt at all. But I think I said in back in the, the report after the Newcastle game, this is almost the, the area of the transfer window, the, the bracket of the transfer window where they need to start moving in regularly because that, that's just what you have to do in this division. And fascinating parallels with Joe Gelhart and knock-on issues for Joe Gelhart, I guess, because uh, I've just had a look at the, the dates of birth and, uh, and Rutter is exactly two weeks older than Gelhart. Would this spell the end of Joe Gelhart's season at Leeds? Does he need to go get some game time? Swansea being touted at the minute? It definitely wouldn't spell the end of Gelhart at Leeds. Leeds see him as a really big part of 
of what will happen further down the line. And he's got a long contract here, I think, to 2027. There is fairly substantial championship interest in Gellhart. Swansea in particular, one of the clubs who've been mentioned to me, um, would, would like to take him. There's been no decision on that because clearly Leeds don't have a striker in the door um, as it as it stands. But if a striker comes in and given the players who seem to be a little bit ahead of Gellhart in the pecking order, Nonto in particular, but there's Rodrigo in there as well. And, you know, there, there is forever this perennial discussion about Bamford's return and, and when he'll be back and fit. And to give Bamford the benefit of the doubt, if he does return and if he is fit, then I think that squeezes Gellhart out in the, the short term a little bit more again. So I suspect that if and when a new forward arrives, that is a discussion that's going to have to take place. As I say, there hasn't been, really been any decision yet on, on what would happen with Gellhart. I suspect it would be down to him in the end about whether or not he wanted to go or whether he wanted to stay and compete for his his place. But it's strange with him because there's, there's part of me who thinks that a talent that big and that good, you, you should be working on yourself. But um, at the same time, it's hard not to look at him and feel like he needs games. It was a wait and see, you said, on uh, on Leeds potentially doing a midfielder with Matt Click heading off to the United States. We've been linked to, and forgive anybody who uh, who has Moroccan friends here, but um, Azadine Unahi, I think is the right pronunciation of the midfielder who was one of the emerging stars of the World Cup in Qatar. Leeds have been linked with him. Uh, fees touted anywhere between 17 and 25 million reports this morning suggesting that um, he's not particularly favouring a move to Leeds. Is there any truth in any of this whatsoever, do you know? I've not I've not been told that that's a goer. We were discussing this one yesterday because if you have a search around, I think it was with Mark in Spain, but there was an interview with Victor Alter um, about him specifically, in which he they kind of openly questioned whether what we saw from him in the World Cup was actually what you generally get from him, and actually whether, if truth be told, his profile is totally different and less dynamic and. I, I got the sense from that interview that Alter was saying he's not really for us and he's not what we would um not we what we would need or what we would want to to spend money on. The centre mid question is um an interesting one, I think though. And I suspect Marsh will probably have to address that in more detail at some point with with Cleek now gone. And you could argue a vacancy there that could be filled. Do leads do anything? Do they sit tight? JB played yesterday, it was uh, a difficult first half for Leeds, but I do like him. I do like JB and I think the sort of player who, who should probably be pushed um, as much as possible now. Um, but no, on on that one, um, nothing like the same um, level of smoke that we've had around uh, around Rutter at Hoffenheim. Do you get the sense from looking at the transfer activity that the club are still all in on Marsh? Well, I would say so. Certainly, to, to use Verber as a, um, as a yardstick. You know, another player that Marsh has worked with previously... Somebody with a, a bit of a Red Bull background who knows his coaching, who knows... I mean, I'm, I'm not pretending that Red Bull's style of play is absolutely uniform from, you know, America to Austria to, to Germany, but there are certain principles and philosophies behind it. And, you know, it, it can't be a coincidence that in having Marsh as manager, they have, from that point, signed Adamson, Adamson, uh, Adamson Tyler Adams, Christensen, and, and now... Verber, you know, it does seem very much like trying to trying to support this model. Rotter, I think, is a good player per se, if you know what I mean. Um, I don't think he's a player who, for example, could only come into this Leeds team. I think there are a lot of sides who would take him. I think there are a lot of sides who who like him. I think there are a lot of head coaches who would find use for him. But yeah, I, I don't feel 
particularly like the recruitment we're looking at at the moment is swinging away from Marsh's style, no. And what happens if um, we have another difficult month ahead of us then? Marsh wins no games, maybe gets a couple of draws, then what? And I'm you know, just playing devil's advocate here. Well, the pressure's on, um, definitely. But then, you know, football clubs go through these cycles all the time and, and will until, you know, the, the end of eternity. You, you have a squad, a head coach has it, eventually the head coach comes to the end of the line and that squad passes on to somebody else. And that somebody else either decides that they like a lot of what they're inheriting, in which case you plough on, or they decide that they don't like much of what they're inheriting, in which case you've got to spend a lot of money to, to change, you know, change the squad around and, and shift it. I mean, I'm watching quite closely what's going on with Graham Potter at Chelsea, just because that's a great example of what it's like to kind of take a, a manager into a club that is sort of transitional and to want things to change and to know that it's going to take time to change, but to then find that the process of change is quite hard to quite hard to bear. I mean, they got they got absolutely trounced at City yesterday. He had quite a spiky press conference over the weekend, and that's the reality of it. If it, for a club, it's great to just be able to grab a new manager and everything to click or to improve and and for you to start sailing again. But in reality, quite often it it just isn't like that because you know different managers, different ideas, players don't fit into um, what he's doing quite so well, and the whole framework needs to needs to shift. But I think what Leeds would say is that they'd be happy, you know, if you go through the players that they've signed, Adams, Aronson, Sinistera, um, and so on, and now Verber and and you know, potentially Rutter, um, if if this all goes to plan, I think they'd be content that in those players they've signed good footballers um and they've signed players, assets who could appreciate um assets who won't massively lose value either. But you know how it works. You know, you see this all the time. One day it's one manager, the next minute it's another, and everybody cracks on. And what happens if the US men's national team come knocking for Marsh? What happens then? It's a great question. It's a great question. And that's a, um, that's a politician's answer, is that, Phil? <laughs> well, my my reading of it, I did ask a little bit about this last week because, without a doubt, the US look like they're about to recruit somebody else. The, the, the story around Berhalter and... Reina is extraordinary, really. And the fact that there's a, an interim appointment or, you know, it's the, the assistant taking charge of the friendlies that the USA have got coming up at the end of this month suggests to you that we're going to see a, a change of head coach um, for the USMNT. Marsh would seem to me to be a, an obvious, very obvious and leading contender for that if the US's next move was to stay domestic, i.e. to put, um, um, appoint another American coach to it. but. My reading of it is that he he wants to, he's still minded to try and make a go of coaching in the Premier League before he goes for that um, or before he, he kind of puts his name in the hat for it. Uh, that might be a case of timing as much as anything. If it, if it starts to go really well for him at Leeds, I don't think, despite you know the, the appeal of the national job and the fact that it's almost a home world cup for the States in 26, I don't think anybody would rush to get out of a job in the Premier League that's going well. If it was to if it was to end badly, if it was all to go wrong, if he, if he was to lose the job at Leeds and, and the US position was um, still vacant, then it seems to me that it would be a very obvious fit um, and, and potentially a really, really good fit as well. But I don't think we're at that point yet. Um, and it still doesn't feel as if 
US soccer have properly shown their hand in respect to what they, they want to do next. I mean, in reality, they've got a hell of a lot of time because even though they're kind of talking about getting involved in the Copa America and everything else to give themselves games in the run-up, they're already qualified for 2026. So, you know, there's no pressure in that sense at all. They they can almost delay an appointment if they want to, to, to the stage where they feel like they can get exactly who it is that they, they want to get. So that is, if I can use a, a favourite word of Bielsa's, that is somewhat hypothetical. But I'm not saying that it might, might not become a, an interesting point of discussion quite soon. Yeah, it will be interesting to see how that one unfolds and whether that would be a, a convenient outcome for everyone. I am being mischievous there, of course, by saying that. Well, let's see. I mean, I uh, very uh, very easy to understand why, from Marsh's perspective, there would be a lot of appeal in that job. But as I say, it's not really the done thing to talk yourself out of managerial jobs then you know top leagues in Europe it, it doesn't doesn't make sense and if it does all settle down at Leeds I get the feeling that it would be he because he's he's a young guy as Marsh it's not like he's an he's an older coach who's been around the block for ages and ages this is his first job in the Premier League Leipzig was his first job in the Bundesliga and you know top five European division I, I think the temptation to stick around would would be there but if you know if he and Leeds at some point were to go their separate ways and the US job was still vacant, then it's difficult to think of many American coaches who would be, I guess, stronger candidates for it. Um, with a final word on Americans, 49ers, any closer to a resolution on that? No white smoke yet? It's still just rumbling away in the background? Uh, no, nothing more to add. Nothing to add. Right. Well, we'll leave it there then for the Monday edition of the Phil Hay Show. We'll be back. Not sure when yet, because we don't know when the pre-Villa press conference is, because that's a Friday night game. So we'll be back in due course absolutely absolutely I suspect it will probably be Friday morning for the potty um, but uh, we'll let you know yeah we will indeed theathletic.com forward slash leads pod to read The Athletic catch up with Phil's post Cardiff analysis and um, and the ever interesting story that is Leeds United as we rumble through the transfer window it's never dull is it at least we can say that it never is and never has been we'll speak to you later in the week The Phil Hay Show 